in place. Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 14 to 21. So one of the things I found interesting living in Grove is how many people are Cherokee, right? I mean, you, you, you just can't tell, right? So people come to visit us and they're like, hey, you're in the middle of the Cherokee nation there, aren't you? And I said, well, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess we are in the middle of this Cherokee nation. Um, but I don't see many of them until you look at license plates, right? You're like, oh, oh, so, so you're Cherokee, huh? Yeah, um, okay. How, how would we know? Um, or why are you Cherokee? So we think Tammy might be like a 164th or, I don't know, 116th, 116th Cherokee. Yep, it's that brown toe on the left. That's her Cherokee toe. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. Sorry. Anyway, uh, and, and we're like, well, well, should we figure it out? We should figure it out. How do you figure it out? Well, you send this in, you send that in. I'm like, why would we do that? Right? Why would we, why would we want to know? Well, because there's some benefits that come, aren't there? Some really nice benefits with being Cherokee. And there doesn't seem to be any cost, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like, you know, the cowboys are out to get the Indians, right we don't we, so i mean it's like hey it's all a win 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 for us right now i'm saying that because i think for a long long time in the u.s to be a christian was really really similar right i mean you just had all these wonderful benefits right you could you could uh claim that hey man if we die or something's happening hey you know god's with us and we got all of this going on and there wasn't much to lose now it seems that it may be in a season that, that there's going to be a little bit more to lose. You might lose a friendship. You might not get invited to a party. You might have relatives now that, that have, have different uh, morals that if you don't accept, you may not be invited to the family functions anymore. There may be a greater cost um, for the people in Paul's day, especially the Jews. There was a great cost to say. I am a Christian. I am a follower of the way. I belong to Christ. But for us, I still think it's super simple. And, and you meet someone, uh, and, hey, uh, are they a Christian? Well, yeah, they go to church, right? How's, how do people answer that? Is so-and-so a Christian? Well, they go to church. Well, they were baptized. In, in our text, the apostle is going to really narrow it down. And the reason I'm saying this is, is anybody else bothered by the Romans 10-9 sign over there by the filling station on your way to Anderson? Nobody else. Tammy is. Good wife. <laughs> right? I, I don't know. Uh, Rains, do you drive back that way? Do you go through Anderson? Have you seen that Romans 10.9 sign? There's buffaloes and tractors in there. It says Romans 10.9 outside that store. And then that store has other verses on it. Don't go in that store. Do not take your girls in that store. Do not buy gas from that store. It's an awful dark place. I went into that store and I was appalled by what was, what was in that store. And I think I was more appalled because it had Romans 10.9. And so here you have a, a sign out there that is proclaiming the simplicity of the gospel. And yet in practice, it is awful and offensive, not just to Christians, but really to any 
slightly moral person. <sighs> the title this morning is A Successful Missions Strategy. The true marks of a Christian, I think in our culture, we think they're good works, maybe church attendance. But according to the scriptures, especially Romans, it's, it's proper doctrine. It's believing what is right, and it is believing it in such a way that there is a change of the person. And that's what he's going to talk about here. Um, let me just give you then the, uh, the, the overall context. In chapter 9, Paul says he has great sorrow. He has increasing anguish, and it is over his Jewish brothers. Right? Chapter 9, 10, and 11 is a response, again, after those first eight chapters of, of Paul saying, salvation has always been by faith. It's always been to believe uh, you are saved, uh, and God keeps his promises. And so then when chapter 9 comes, it is those people saying, well, what about all the promises God made to Israel? What about those? If God's promises to Israel um, aren't fulfilled, then how can we trust his promises to us? And so 9, 10, and 11 is Paul responding. And again, he is the absolute right person to respond. He is representing himself here. He is a person that studied and knew the word of God and yet was so opposed to Christianity that he persecuted all of those who followed the way. So that, but chapter 9 says he, he has this great compassion. Chapter 10, our chapter this morning, started out, Brothers, my heart's desire, <coughs> my prayer to God for them, is that they'll be saved. Verse 4, Christ is the end of the law. What's he saying? All of their studies should have led them. He's the purpose of the law. He's the telos. He's where it goes. Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone who believe. In our current context, Romans 10, 9. I'll read that and then we'll get into our passage. Romans 10, 9. So this is about a month ago. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then verse 13 uh, from Joel. Right, This verse 13, gets, it, it's in Acts. It's in, the, the concept is already there in Genesis. Uh, This is one of those golden threads throughout the Old Testament all the way to the end. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the apostles' hope and my hope is for you to call on the name of the Lord. There's no other way of salvation but for you to call upon the name of the Lord. And, and, and to believe what it says in verse 9. He is Lord. Right? It, it's, not a, it's not a magic phrase or a magic spell. Uh, if you say these words with your mouth, then you're, you're done, you're sealed. Right? It is a confession that comes from understanding and knowing right and proper theology concerning who Christ is and what it means for us to take Him as our Lord. 
Um, we see the same thing in Joel chapter 2 that he's confessing here. In Acts chapter 2, Peter on the day of Pentecost, he quotes this whole section so he can end his sermon with, and all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what is the mission strategy? If Paul's longing is for his brothers to be saved, which it is, that's his longing, and if you're a believer, that should be your longing. It should be your longing all the time. I want my neighbors to know Christ. I want my parents to know Christ. I want my children to know and walk with Christ. I want everyone I know and care about to call on the name of Christ. Right? That's Paul saying. He's going to say it again exactly, almost exactly the same again in chapter 11. My longing is for them to know. And so now we have this strategy. Now, I've thought about strategy all the time. Right? When I was a youth pastor, it's like, what's the strategy? I would watch the school buses go back and forth. Like, how are we going to reach those kids? How am I going to talk to those kids? How am I going to share the gospel with those kids? Right? How, how are we going to do that? Come to Grove. How are we going to reach Grove for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Get to Charlottesville. Youth pastor, what do we do? How do we do this? And I think it's right to think about strategy. But the strategy that Paul lays out in chapter 10 uh, is, is a strategy that I think he, he understands what we'll see in our outline. He understands the difference between this general call and effective call, but it really is his plan. Um, when I was planning in Los Angeles, people would say, who are you going after? What's your plan? What's your strategy? Um, and, and I always said the same thing. My strategy is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in any and every situation. Whether it's shooting arrows into a target at a, at a range somewhere or having a burger or a drink with somebody, my strategy is how can I preach and teach the gospel? When I took over at Kirk of the Hills now, oh, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, um, I remember sitting down with a session like, hey, you know, we've had a lot of these people leave our church. You know, our church is, is declining. Um, what is your strategy? And I remember telling the elders, my, my strategy is for us to marinate our lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and to preach it every single week. And a few years after that, one of, the, one of the elders said to me, when you said that, I thought, man, this is going to be boring. He's like, is every service then going to just be this altar call, highly emotional? Because I didn't really understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is everywhere in Scripture. I, didn't, I just didn't realize that, that, that I would need it applied as a guy who's been a believer for 40 years to every area of my life. That's our strategy. And so Paul lays it out in verses 14 to 21. Um, let's stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Again, it makes logical sense in the flow, doesn't it? If, if salvation is for all those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, then verse 14 flows, right? It just makes sense. He says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
But I ask, have they not heard? Now, think about it. What he's talking about, he's, he's explained, here's how, the, here's how the gospel works in normal situations. Okay, that's what he's saying in these first verses. Here's how the gospel works in normal situations. And you see it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right There is preaching, and then the people hear, and the people respond. But now, again, he is talking specifically about Israel. Right, So he picks up in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. He's quoting Psalm 19 there. It's one of those psalms that talks about general revelation. All right? When we see the sunrise and the seasons and the whole world speaks of the glory of God. Verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who didn't seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. The missionary call should never be hindered by the response of the lost. Brothers and sisters, if you call upon the name of Christ, if He is your Lord and Savior, you are called to missions. It is not something for those that are going to get sent to Africa or South America. It is for you as you're sent back to your office, your classroom, your places of business. To call upon the name of the Lord puts you in the category of missionary. Uh, Tammy and I listened to some podcasts on our drive back and forth to St. Louis, and, and um, one of the most amazing was this testimony, and I'll share it with whoever wants, of this uh, uh, journalist uh, and in her writing and, and covering Christianity. Um, and she talks about meeting with this one pastor to write an article, and she was probably on the lines of agnosticism. And she, she said halfway through, she realized, I'm being evangelized. <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> um, we are all called to do a mission work. And the missionary call, it should never be hindered, or it should never be quelled, it should never be altered. It should never be abandoned by the response of the people. It's really important that we grasp that. Faithful mission work is sharing the gospel to people. We long to see hearts changed. We long to see people make professions of faith. But on our end, as Christian people, the faithful side is the presentation of that gospel. And we do it by telling our story. Right? You, you hear about it with Paul. When, he's, when he does his preaching, what does he do? He tells his story. I grew up this way. I knew all the words of God. I, I, was, I, was, I was above, uh, I, was, <laughs> I was righteous in the eyes of the church. I was righteous in the eyes of government. I was righteous in the eyes of family. I was a leader. Right? And, and then I met the risen Christ. I repented of my sins. I confessed my sins. So uh, the missionary call should never be hindered by the response of the lost. The strategy, though, understands the general call and the effectual call. So those are theological terms. 
but they're important for the average Christian to understand. There's a general call. So uh, every Sunday when I preach, there is a general call to you. Put your trust in Christ. Turn away from your sins. Renew your commitment to Him once again. A general call. It goes out to all. Right? We see that in the Scriptures. Right? We, we, we present the gospel to all. And then there is an effectual call. And we'll look at that in the last bit of this passage. Um, but there is a missionary call to the Jews. Paul is calling to the Jews. And he is saying, Call upon the name of the Lord, who is Jesus. Call upon that name. So we'll go through this text fairly quickly now. We'll look at the general call to preach, the general call to hear, and the effectual call of God. Now, the effectual call is, gives us really uh, courage and faith and hope. I think I might have mentioned to you in my years as a youth pastor, I would gather with our small group leaders at the beginning of the season, and I would say, I, I challenge each of you to pick the hardest kid in the youth group. And we had, it was a large group, so we always had uh, two leaders per grade, per gender. And, um, like, choose the one that you think is least likely and pray for their salvation. And often at the end of the year, we would hear these testimonies. In fact, I remember one time hearing the testimony of this kid that I'd been praying for for about two years. And I hadn't seen him in a while, and they'd moved. And someone told me that that kid had been saved, and the kid was sending him verses, and they were conversing back and forth and I was like wow our call goes out with the hope that God will bring life to his word but the first part these verses 14 to 17 is a general call to preach so if salvation is given to those who call on the name of the Lord these four questions should be asked and answered right so the first question is how can they call on the one if they haven't believed okay how can they call upon the name of the Lord if they haven't believed and, and so I, we need to be careful about calling a person a Christian too quickly. Right? Sometimes it's just presented, hey, if you say this prayer and if you put your faith in Jesus and you won't go to hell and your sins will be washed away. Without really an understanding that putting your faith in Jesus means he is Lord, as it says in here. Right? He is number one. It's not just a, a transaction that happens. It, it is actually a submission and a surrender to him as Lord. And, and so what does that mean? That means he has rights to speak over you in every area of life. But too quickly, we throw these things out. Hey, if you're a Christian, you can call the name of the Lord. and He's going to heal this for you. And he's going to heal that for you. and He's going to give you a better job. He's going to do all of this. And, and people are like, oh, hey, sounds great. Until they're called to account. Um, how can they call on the one if they haven't believed? And so it's important that we have a thorough theological presentation of the person of Christ. All right? Even in verse 9, you confess in your mouth, He is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Right? Those are theological concepts. You'll not be a Christian if you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's part of being a Christian. It's part of holding to what the Bible teaches concerning Christ. Um, there is a set of truth claims that are to be believed. These truth claims constitute the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Those truth claims require obedience, as it says in verse 16. They haven't obeyed, right? So that's the first question. How are those people going to believe? Uh, how are they going to call on the Lord if they haven't believed? Secondly, how are they going to believe if they've never heard? 
How are they going to believe if they've never heard? Now, I think it's awesome that we picked this text up after going through the minor prophets, because what are the minor prophets? They're going and they're presenting a message each time, aren't they? Each one of those minor prophets is presenting a message to a people that have rejected Christ, rejected God, have turned away from Him, and each one of those people is saying, you must return, you must turn, you must, you must confess, you must repent, right? How are they going to believe if they haven't been, if it hasn't heard? Uh, third, how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And fourth, how are they to preach unless they are sent? So our strategy really takes those four questions and reverses them, right? The first thing is a person is to be sent. So you heard me praying for Joe Lindsay. I would have prayed for the pastor that we called to Springfield if I remembered his name. It's Dustin something, isn't it? Dustin somebody. Just another Dustin. world needs another Dustin. Uh, <laughs> um, I would pray for them, right? They have been called. Those people have been called. Now, what does it mean for them to be called in our sense? It means that those people have been theologically trained and examined and mentored. We see that model in the New Testament, don't we? Paul and Timothy, Peter, they, they, take, they take other men with them on mission. Moses and Aaron, right? There, there's, there's this constant mentoring and teaching. Our first part of the strategy, person is to be sent, it's to be equipped. Right? Paul shows that his equipping was going on even before he was saved. Right? He knows all of these Old Testament passages. He just, they just flow in and out of his thinking as he is presenting the gospel. You've been trained. He, he uses Nahum, Isaiah, Deuteronomy. Um, that, that person is to be sent. I want us to pray in 2024 that the Lord would equip and send some of our students into his mission field. I want to encourage you parents, read some of the biographies of missionaries and pastors. There's a beautiful one coming out. I think it's come out on Tim Keller. Uh, read and encourage. Maybe that's the goal. Um, two, that person is to preach Jesus and him crucified. That person is not charged with getting a unique message that the people want to hear, but that person is to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. The person is to be sent and when they're sent, they are to preach Christ. Not just, hey, let's make tracks. You know, you wonder why sometimes I don't have the Gideons here because I think sometimes people just say, let's just, let's just give out a Bible to a student and we've done our work. Well, that's just not the biblical form of evangelism. I mean, it, 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 could, it could happen for sure, but the biblical mode of evangelism is person to person. The word is shared, it's understood. There's feedback, there's conversation. Uh, thirdly, that person is called, that person calls those hearers to believe. Uh, and not just the facts, but to put their complete trust and faith in Jesus. And so those who present the gospel are not just teachers dispensing facts. They're heralds calling people to change. Fourthly, that call from the people will be upon the name of Jesus. That's our mission strategy. The sending of people equipped to preach and teach and share the gospel. That those hearers would hear in their own language in ways that are easy to understand but are not directed by those hearers. And they would call upon the name of Jesus.
Michael Horton writes that the early Christians were not fed to wild beasts or dipped in wax and set ablaze as lamps in Nero's garden because they thought Jesus was a helpful life coach or a role model, but because they witnessed to him as the only Lord and Savior of the world. And so Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So there is a call to preach. And it's not just the ordained preachers. It is you. It is you in your neighborhood. The first door into the church is usually the door into your house. First call into the church is usually a call for you to to share a meal together, some time together. Um, There's a general call, secondly, to hear. So verse 16 and 19, as I said in the reading, the response then is, wait, didn't the Jews of his day, wasn't the gospel preached to them? Now again, I say Paul might be uniquely qualified to speak on this because that's who he was. And so there is this sense that the apostle says, yeah, the, these words have gone out and they need to go out and correct teaching needs to go out. Um, but we've got to pray that the Spirit would open the ears to hear. You know, uh, in families, sometimes you will see a family with lots of kids and there may be two or three follow the Lord and there may be two or three that turn their back. In in sermons at times, you know, I've preached sermons that I thought were the most boring and people have come to know the Lord. I've preached sermons that I thought were just amazing and dynamic and people have fallen asleep. (laughs) It is the Lord who enables us to hear. Right? And our response should be every time we sit down to worship, every time we open our Bible, Lord, give me ears to hear. Let me not just learn these facts, but give me ears to hear and and, and press it into my soul that you're teaching me something about yourself that's not just to be affirmed, but it is if if believed, my behavior will change. My hopes will change. And so there is this general call to hear. Now, those of you who have been to my house, you know that basically once you get kind of to that turn for the golf course, there's two ways to get to my house, all right? There's the way Tammy goes, and, and she takes a left right, right there and, and goes where, uh, along the golf course because it's pretty and there are flowers, you know, um, and, and she believes it's faster. And then there's the right way to go, which is you go straight. You go around that little field there where the deer are chasing each other back and forth, and Mark gets to look at them and not run off the road, right? Uh, there, now, we have, we have argued about this in a friendly way. We've timed it, but you know, you never know if the other person's cheating. Like, I'm gonna go the speed limit. You better go the speed limit, Tammy. I know you can't, but I want you to try, right? And, and, and so, I, here's the thing. Her way may be best, but part of me just doesn't wanna do it because it's her way, right? There's just that, there's that little bit that's like, this is how I wanna do it. And when we hear the gospel, when we hear it presented in the word, our first response is usually the same. Here's how I want to do it. Here's how I'm made right. 
And for the Jews of Paul's day, it was specifically, particularly hard for them because they had used the scriptures to create a way without the gospel. They had used the scriptures to say, I've done this, 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 this. Therefore, God is going to be pleased with me. And the Apostle Paul comes and says, well, you've done this, I've done it more. You've done that, I've done it more. And all of these things to me are filthy rags. Why? Because trusting in all of these things kept me from running into the arms of my Savior. Lord, help us hear. The Jews had heard, but they had not heard. They may have understood, but not obeyed. And so he quotes Isaiah, where Isaiah cries out, who has heard our message? Now, what about those who haven't heard? There's a common thought, in, in mostly in American evangelicalism, that those who haven't heard will not go to hell. And that's just not true. It's not what the scriptures teach. If it were so, why would the prophets have been sent to all the Gentile nations? Why would they risk their lives to go and tell? If in their telling, they then put the people under some condemnation. No, um, we are to tell all. No, in Mississippi, when I was a little boy, there was a, there was a new highway. I guess it was new at the time. But it had a bridge over the Big Black River. If you ever go to Mississippi, you see the Big Black River. It should be called the Medium Brown River. Because uh, it's not that big. It's really brown. Um, and it's full of turtles and logs and stuff. But there was a story that there was a storm that took out the Highway 80 bridge over the, over the Big Black River. And, the, and this is in the 60s. And there was, a, there was an African-American man that saw it stopped his car, put his flashers on, and just kept waving at people. Eight cars driven by white folks went in the river. They could hear. They could see. But there was something about that messenger. Can't trust this messenger. Can't trust that messenger. Right, the message was right, the message was true, they could hear, but they did not apply. They did not believe. I'm not saying that to make us all feel like racists. I'm saying that because we may be that person standing at the river. We may be crying out to those around us. Your path ahead leads to death, leads to destruction. Oh, please hear the gospel call. But we need to be that person that says, Lord, help me to just hear. And even in hearing, if it means that it's going gonna, it's gonna to make life a little more difficult for me, help me to hear it and obey it. The last thing uh, is verse 20 and 21. Um, we call this the effectual call. It's Paul's testimony. Um, but basically, it means that God saves who he wants. Our God saves who He wants. And, and so, Christian, you can rest in this. 
parent with a child that has gone wayward, you can rest in this. This strategy does not rest on the shoulders of preachers or Christians. It rests on the shoulders of our Lord and Savior. He will call those he wants. And he will, in his economy, use us to share that message. I tell the story all the time about my son Jordan, and I just, there was a season I thought we had lost him. He went off to college, and I thought we lost him. Now, if you've met Jordan, you're like, how could you ever lose that guy, right? You know, he's unlosable, right? Um, but there was a season when I thought we lost him. And we went off and worked at this camp, came back from that camp, and he said, hey, Mom, Dad, Bill Boyd preached the gospel to me. He explained the gospel to me. Tammy looked at me, and I looked at Tammy, and like, what the beep do you think we've been doing your whole life? <laughs> right? Haven't we been doing that? But at some point, God the Holy Spirit opened his ears to hear. And God receives all the glory for that boy's salvation. As he does for every sinner who is saved. But it is, it is shown to us that we might not lose hope. Right? That we might not give up, that we might not rest in the things that we have done, that we would call others to call upon the name of our Lord and Savior, and we would ask for the Lord of the harvest to open hearts that they might not just hear, but they might understand. All day long, he says, I held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And yet to those of us who will, he opens his arms and says, come to me. Saul had this happen to him. Saul on the road to Damascus, the Lord Savior opened his arms to him. And Saul said something like scales fell from his eyes. And all of a sudden he saw Jesus all through the scriptures. I put in the outline whose fault is it anyway? Um, it is the fault of those who turn hard hearts and deaf ears to the call. What does this mean for us? I just want to give you four quick things and then I'll pray. First, um, use all of Scripture. I love that. I love that Paul uses all of the Scriptures in his arguments. Like he goes from the prophets to the Psalms. Right? Use all of Scripture. Know all of Scripture. All of Scripture points to this. So what he says is happening now in the days in the New Testament, it's the same thing that was happening in the days of Isaiah. The prophets were preaching and some were listening and some were hearing and some weren't. Two, get equipped. Get equipped. Present the gospel. When you get in a conversation at work or with a loved one and you're stumped, write it down and tell them, I don't know the answer to that question. Don't know the answer to that question. Right? But I'm going to think about it and I'll get back to you. Get equipped. It's not going to happen overnight. But read and study. Have a plan for studying God's Word. Thirdly, call people to faith. Invite people to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Right? Present Christ, present your story, and invite people. It's time for you to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. That testimony that we heard, the lady who talked about, now she meets people who believe in God, and she's like, why haven't you just kind of followed through on that? Why haven't you thought, I, I, I believe in God? Well, then, is this God to be known? What should I know about him? What would he require? Invite people to put their faith. And fourthly, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Not one, Jesus says, 
of those that the Father has given me will be lost. We will not see our Lord as it was told to me, man, growing up, that on my escalator up to heaven, did anybody ever hear this one? On the escalator up to heaven, I would be passing an escalator going to hell. I, that's what I heard. Like, I'll be passing an escalator going to hell, and I will see all these people that I didn't share Christ with. Whew! Wouldn't that be horrible if that was true? How could you ever rest? Right? No. No. All who the Father calls, he will save. And Jesus said, I have not lost one of who you called me to send. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I know my sheep. I call them, and they come to me. And so it is, it is in that overarching picture of God's sovereignty and his providence that he invites us into his mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, thank you that the apostle uh, and us have the answer to the hard-heartedness of those who can quote Scripture, those who can write books about your Bible and yet miss the Gospel. May it not be said of us, Father. Now feed us on the body of your Son that we would rest upon what He has accomplished. Jesus Christ he came, He died, and He rose again. And you are now sitting at the Father's hand, interceding on behalf of your saints. Will you, Lord, make us hearers, obedient and faithful disciples and missionaries? Father, may we drink this cup and have full assurance that for all of our failures and even the ones we are unaware of, Christ's blood has and will always be sufficient. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.